0: U.S.-Russian relations on cybersecurity are going well, Commerzant journalist Yelena Chernenka reported at roughly 3 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Wednesday, September 29th. Altogether, good developments, it seems, although public assessments from the U.S. side are more cautious, Chernenka added, after summarizing the four rounds of video-conferenced negotiations and unfrozen expert dialogue on that Tuesday night where Russia and the United States apparently made progress on suppressing the activities of cybercrime groups like EvilCorp, TrickBot, and Revil or Revel. I don't know how you're supposed to say that. Revil. Let's go with Revil. Anyway, the Russian side reportedly informed Washington that it has already suppressed the activities of the criminal group that used the dire TrickBot malware and brought the perpetrators to criminal responsibility. More and better data sharing would resume. Things seem better. Time will tell, Chernenka wrote on Twitter. The time may already have been talking. Mere hours earlier, as these supposedly promising bilateral negotiations on cybercrime were underway, federal agents in Moscow raided the office of Group IB, one of Russia's largest cybersecurity firms, and arrested its CEO, Ilya Sechkov. That's our main story today. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. Hello there, you're listening to The Naked Pravda. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, Medusa's English language managing editor. Our main story this week is the arrest of Group IB CEO Ilya Sachkov and its significance in Russia's cybersecurity industry. But first, let's revisit a few memorable news events from this week, beginning with a new segment about developments in Russia's terrifying world of foreign influence. Let's meet the agents. It's easier than ever now to qualify for designation as a foreign agent. It's been pretty easy for a while, admittedly. But the Federal Security Service, the FSB, has decided to streamline the process even more by updating its list of information that can supposedly be used to harm Russia's national security. If you're caught collecting any of this stuff, none of which is considered classified, by the way, And if you're caught sharing it with anyone or anything abroad, you could be labeled a foreign agent and subjected to all the filing and disclosures associated with foreign agent status. The FSB's amendments also introduce fines and felony liability for failing to register voluntarily as a foreign agent if you're doing this new foreign agent stuff. So, what's on the list, you might be asking yourself? Well, for starters, any information about the progress, or results of criminal investigations by the FSB or by military investigators, that's a no-no. The same goes for information about the observation of the law and the moral and psychological climate in the armed forces, which is a long, legalese-winded way of saying military hazing, namely beating new recruits to a pulp, ostensibly as an initiation ritual. It's a notorious thing in the Russian military. You can't share information with foreigners about that. Or you risk being designated as a foreign agent. Also, any information about the military's procurement contracts, the locations of specific military units and weapons depots? No, you can't talk about that either. Do you know something about problems maybe slowing down projects at Russia's space agency? Well, you can't tell a foreigner or a foreign entity about that either unless you want to be labeled a foreign agent. Also, if you happen to know the true identity of the next Russian spies caught poisoning somebody somewhere in the world, the FSB says it might label you a foreign agent if you share that information with somebody outside of Russia. The FSB's list has 60 entries altogether, and it will certainly make life more difficult for anybody writing publicly about the Russian military, and that is no doubt the whole point. So depending on how these new regulations are enforced, we could be getting a boatload more new foreign agents, but the boat is already pretty loaded. In fact, this week, the Justice Ministry designated two more prominent independent media outlets, Zona and OVD Info, two publications that specialize in reporting on Russia's justice system. They join yours truly, Medusa, as well as other projects like The Insider, iStories, Radio Svoboda, and the Harkovsky News websites, Open Media and MBK Media, and V-Times. All three of those last ones are kaput, by the way. They closed up shop after their designations. Alexander Ionov, the pro-Kremlin activist who bills himself as a human rights defender, if you're ever reading about him and he's introduced as a human rights defender and not something pro-Kremlin, you have an idea of what kind of outlet you're reading. In the past, Ionov's complaints have actually paid off. He led the charge against Medusa, it so happens. This week, in his statement to the Attorney General's office, he claimed falsely that the Bell's management company is a Delaware-based firm financed by the U.S. government. The bell has responded with a statement that says its management company is registered in Russia and that it doesn't receive any foreign funding. So that's where the story has stopped so far, and we'll hope for the bell's sake that that's indeed where it ends. Now, adding up all the publications and individual journalists whom the Justice Ministry has designated so far, there are now more than 70 entries. The new people added here include more than a dozen human rights activists from the election watchdog Media MediaZona editor-in-chief Sergei Smirnov, and owner, publisher and pussy riot activist Pyotr Verzilov. Crowded times, and it uh, promises to get more crowded still. Writing on her Telegram channel earlier this week, political analyst Tatyana Stanavaya attributed this spontaneous avalanche of new foreign agent designations to a series of different decentralized forces at work. I won't get into the mechanics of what she's describing, because I don't entirely understand them myself, but she's naming people like RT head Margarita Simonyan, Alexei Gromov in the Kremlin, Nikolai Petrushev in the National Security Council, the FSB. She's pointing to all these different prominent figures and powerful agencies and saying that they are essentially acting on their own initiative to go after foreign agents for their own various different reasons. So if this is an avalanche, that's the metaphor that Stanovaya uses. Is it gaining steam or is it kind of coming to an end? Well, she tries to have it both ways, if you ask me. She says that the foreign agent craze likely hasn't peaked yet. In fact, she says the police will likely need to devise new obstacles to keep up the appearance of vigilance. But the whole campaign's effectiveness is also waning because there's just so many designations now that the term itself, foreign agent, has lost a lot of its meaning. So whatever happens going forward, I suppose she'll be right. In the media business, the foreign agent label has nefarious connotations and tends to drive away advertisers, some readers, and some news sources as well. As bad as all this is, Foreign agency itself isn't a crime. It is not illegal in Russia to be a foreign agent. It's not illegal to read a foreign agent's content. And it's not even illegal to donate money to a foreign agent. Wink, wink. But there are, of course, many prohibited acts in Russia when it comes to the mass media. Let's review a few of these no-nos in a segment we're calling You Can't Do That. blogger from Tajikistan, Ruslan Baibiev, probably bit off more than he could chew earlier this week when he asked his girlfriend to squat in front of him and pantomime oral sex for a photo that he then shared online. It didn't help matters that he staged the spectacle with St. Basil's Cathedral in the background, or that his girlfriend, a woman named Anastasia Chistova, was wearing a jacket with the word police emblazoned on the back. That was all deliberate, of course, because Baibiev was cooking up what he hoped would be viral content for his large Instagram audience, who was obviously subscribed to his channel in the first place for precisely this kind of trash. But the fun and games ended when the police arrested both Babiev and Chistova and then filmed him in the back of a squad car, looking rather frightened and tearfully apologizing for his insensitivity. They're both in jail now, where they will remain for the next 10 days. And when that's done, Babiev will be expelled from the country, which means that he can kiss his prestigious Moscow State University education goodbye. But it's probably preferable to imprisonment, which was a possibility, given calls to charge him with the felony offense of upsetting religious people and insulting the police. You can't do that. Earlier in the week, Russia's federal censor threatened to block YouTube outright after the video-sharing website blocked two channels controlled by Russia Today's German language edition because the network shared content that violates Google's rules against false information about the coronavirus. Oops. The RT German edition then triggered a permanent ban by trying to pivot its broadcasting to a secondary channel to circumvent the first suspension. As she's done before, RT editor-in-chief Margarita Simonyan immediately demanded retaliation from the Russian government, this time against both YouTube and the German news media, though the German government denies any involvement in YouTube's decision. Citing Russian law and the foreign ministry's assessment The Russian federal censor has threatened YouTube with charges of suppressing free speech and massive fines if it fails to comply with Russia's laws, even when it comes to the German media sphere, apparently. After that, YouTube could be blocked completely, or more likely, throttled in part to leave it accessible but effectively too slow to be useful. If the Russian government does ultimately block YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or one of the other giants with users all over the world, except maybe China or North Korea, I do think it will likely be under the pretext of a retaliation like this. You block our stuff, we'll block your stuff. Columnists in RT and spokespeople for Russia's foreign ministry will acknowledge that Moscow's response is not proportionate, but the subtext will be that it was a necessary response to Western unfairness. Accepting this explanation, however, means believing that these policies wouldn't be adopted were it not for the West provocations. Were it not for the United States forcing RT to register under the Foreign Agents Registration Act, goes the argument, Russia would never have enacted its own foreign agents law, and this whole mess could have been avoided. If this were true, however, it still wouldn't explain why Russia's attorney general's office outlawed the investigative news website Prakt as an undesirable organization, and it doesn't explain why the police in Moscow are using a Dutch blogger's frivolous defamation lawsuit to chase investigative journalist Roman Dabrachotov out of the country, or why they're still harassing his family who stayed behind. Retaliation against the West doesn't explain banning the Navalny movement as extremist either, or the nationwide persecution of his team's remnants. To accept the authorities' rhetoric at face value, you have to believe that all this is something totally separate. But it isn't. In reality, it's about maintaining control at home. And it's about reminding Russia's upstarts and troublemakers of one thing you can't do that. Our main story this week is the treason case against Ilya Sachkov, the 35-year-old CEO of the cybersecurity firm Group IB. On Wednesday morning, September 29th, hours after officials raided the company's Moscow office, a local court jailed Sachkov for the next two months, pending trial. That will likely be extended several times as the authorities collect more evidence. In the cybersecurity world, this arrest is a big deal. Group IB is one of the leading Russian companies in the field of cybersecurity. It specializes in countering cyber attacks and online fraud and investigating high-tech crimes. The company deals with major clients like Sperbank, Alpha Bank, Megaphone, and Rostec. Group IB is also an official partner of Interpol and Europol. On top of taking part in these organizations, the company also helps Russian law enforcement agencies uncover cases of cyber fraud inside Russia. Ilya Sachkov co-founded Group IB in 2003. At the time, he was just 17 years old. In 2016, Forbes included him on its 30 under 30 list.
1: There are a couple really big Russian cybersecurity firms.
0: That's Dr. Josephine Wolf, an associate professor of cybersecurity policy at the Tufts University Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. Among many things, she studies the legal, political, and economic consequences of cybersecurity incidents. I asked her about Group IB's reputation. The one that people in the United States have often heard of is one called Kaspersky because there's
1: been a lot of controversy over that in the past and then there are a couple others and group I B is one of the others where you you have a cybersecurity company whose reputation and products really have a pretty global reach and group ib is one of those really sort of big companies that works on investigating cyber crimes, selling products that help people
0: protect their networks and data and is is used pretty widely and respected pretty widely around the world. One of the things that i've seen often when describing group ib is that it has and this is true for for kaspersky lab too I, i'm sure is that it often works it has contracts with the you know the russian law enforcement and russian national security infrastructure and these large state corporations is that just how this industry works i mean anybody that's a big company is going to be working with say it, whatever country you're in wherever you're based you're effectively your effectively your biggest clients are going to be government security agencies or is this unique to The Russian market?
1: I don't think it's unique to the Russian market, right? There are plenty of cybersecurity companies in the United States and in other countries that have lots of contracts with government customers. I think where it becomes complicated in Russia, and one of the reasons that we talk about it a lot in that context, is that the separation between the government and the criminal organizations who are launching ransomware attacks or other types of cyber espionage and cyber crime efforts are often more entangled in Russia than they are in other places. So there's a lot more concern and a lot more suspicion that the Russian government is either implicitly or explicitly tolerating these types of criminal activities. And therefore, kind of the question of who these companies are working with and what types of crimes they're investigating becomes a lot more complicated. One way you could sort of read this incident is the Russian government not tolerating an effort to distance itself or to sort of assert independence from the Russian government. And I think what that could mean is, first of all, that other Russian cybersecurity companies fall in line if they're not already are, you know, very clear on what's at stake if they're not willing to cooperate with the Russian government. And second of all, that The people in the United States, the people in other countries who are looking at these companies in Russia and making decisions about do we trust their products, do we trust them to not turn everything right over to the Russian government could see this as a sign that actually Russian companies do not have a lot of independence, are not able to sort of distance themselves from the government.
0: Is that a concern that's unique to American consumers or do you think that would hurt the the ability of these Russian cybersecurity companies to do business Everywhere around the world. Is it really just Russia's geopolitical adversaries or whatever that that are going to care?
1: It's certainly not unique to the United States, that concern. I would say if we look at if we look at the tensions between the U.S. and many other countries in China around 5G infrastructure, a lot of that comes back to the concerns that companies in China like Huawei are completely under the thumb of the Chinese government. And that if the Chinese government says to them, you need to turn over this kind of access or this kind of data, they will have to do that. And so I think that if there's a sense that Russian companies are sort of beholden to the Russian government in the same way, then that's a concern for the United States, but it's a concern for any other country that is relying on software or hardware from these Russian companies for sensitive purposes.
0: Okay, so the Americans aren't happy to see Group IB's CEO in jail. And the signals here seem to suggest that cooperating with Washington on cybersecurity won't be tolerated. But why go after Ilya Sachkov specifically? It's a mixture of, of
2: all these uh, micro-level and, and, and more macro-level reasons which can, which can explain the whole the affair.
0: That's Dr. Julian Nassetti, an associate fellow at the French Institute of International Relations who works on the global governance of cybersecurity and Russian internet policies. He says Sachkov stood out in Russia's cybersecurity world, as a particularly outspoken individual who did not mince his words or shy from the public spotlight,
2: the individual is quite outspoken, and it's it's not so frequent in this, uh, I mean, a very polite world of our cybersecurity industry. So it's not only uh, you know gray suits and and whispering people. So you have such individuals who can um, wear beautiful suits, which is his case, and 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 talk um, in a more. I mean, you know, in a more. Brutal way, I would say. One, one of the, one of the reason when we are mentioning the ties uh, between the company and, and the uh, outside World, uh, first sure, that the Pavel uh, Sachkov uh, was also a member of for an interesting, interesting value, which is the Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace, which is a sort of uh, NGO like institutions uh, dedicated to. Uh, um, empowering a sort of global dialogue on cybersecurity and the resilience of, of cyberspace, such for the only Russian member of these institutions along with uh, very different people. So you have people from Microsoft, from uh, from the different foreign affairs ministry, from the uh, Singapore government and and, and and so on. And so you, you might have sort of influence, you travel abroad, you meet with very different different and influential people in some way. Uh, and those that might Irritates uh, some people within the FSB. So actually, he he's been in the uh, under fire for for, for, for at least uh, at least one year on that. And it's also, I mean, great politics because uh, the, the timing of the arrest is interesting because it's, it happened it happens right when you have a series of um, of interesting announces in the Russian American cybersecurity cybersecurity spat, uh,
0: Cybercrime spat, I should say. Dr. Nassetti is referring to the U.S. Russian consultations on cybersecurity that I described at the top of the show. Expert dialogue devoted to coordinating the response to ransomware groups, apparently based in Russia and attacking targets in the United States, suppressing their activities and bringing the perpetrators to justice. That's the whole idea here. But arresting one of Russia's top cybercriminal catchers seems to suggest that some agents or agencies within Russia's intelligence community aren't fully committed to the new pact with Washington. I asked Mike Echol, a senior correspondent in Prague for Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty, if the timing of Sachkov's arrest means the Russians have a mutiny on their hands?
3: You know, it's a really, really interesting question that that not only spans Russian cyber community, but just kind of the whole, uh, you know, modus operandi of, of Russian intelligence agencies and how, you know, you could have one agency where the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing within the same agency. And there's speculation that Sachikov's arrest might be the result of um, an inter-FSB feud between different divisions. But so the problem is that in Russia, a lot of the key figures who were instrumental in building up the, the bots, the software, the underlying infrastructure that gave root to today's ransomware operate or have operated with the imprimatur of Russian intelligence agencies, and this gets back to kind of the the whole problem with Russian cooperation with the United States going back years and years and years. Is that in many cases there's at least a dozen that come to mind. You have hackers who have committed, you know, a lot of crimes outside of Russia, illegal in other jurisdictions. And they have subsequently been identified either by the Americans or by the Russians themselves. And the Russian intelligence agencies will then go to these guys and say, hey, Kevin, you know, we see that you broke into and stole, you know, credit cards from, you know, from Starbucks. You know, you, you're a bad boy and we're going to prosecute you unless you come to work for us and put your hacking skills to work for us. And we're going to tell you where you're going to hack, who you're going to hack, how you're going to go about doing it. And if you don't do, if you do that, then it's fine. We'll give you a good salary, a nice apartment and, and your life will be good. And if you don't do that, we're going to throw you in La Fortuna, and, and you'll rot away there. So, you know, the problem is that some of the key figures involved in ransomware, a evil corp is the best known, um, have, work for the FSB and have worked for the FSB, you know? So if you're an American cyber official or justice department official, you know, trying to have some meeting of the minds with the FSB about how to deal with ransomware, you know, how do you, how do you approach that? You know, you're talking with the FSB counterparts, but you know, the FSB has these hackers on their employ and they protect them. So. It all becomes this kind of house of marriage kind of situation.
0: The treason case against Sachkov is shaping up to be a landmark investigation in Russian cybersecurity. But the granddaddy of cybersecurity scandals remains the case against two FSB agents, Sergei Mikhailov and Dmitry Delkuchayev, as well as a businessman and a former Kaspersky Lab computer incidents investigations head named Ruslan Stayanov, all of whom were arrested in December 2016 and later sentenced to different spells in prison. Mike points out that there's actually a trail of breadcrumbs leading from here to Ilya Sachkov.
3: He worked with these FSB cyber officers, Mikhailov, and reportedly he was involved in a, a prominent prosecution of a prominent businessman, um, entrepreneur, scammer, whatever you want to call it, Skanay back in the early 2010s. And so, you know, Sachkov has, he had clear and documentable ties with Mikhailov. So anyone who's connected with Mikhailov, you know, it wasn't a good thing and, and bad things happened to, to people with, with any of those ties. But the other theory that people are latched onto, and, and I think Novaya Gazeta was flagging this, is the fact that in July of 2020, Sachkov went out to Kazan, I think it was for a conference hosted by the prime minister, Houston about Russia's IT sector. And he was one of several people uh, in attendance, Sa- Sachkov was. And he gave a speech there, um, Sachkov did, where he talked about cybercrime and cyber fraud because that's what Group IB is known for. And he, and he, and he did a name check of, of one person in particular, a guy named Maxim Yakubets, who is allegedly the founder of Evil Corp, the leading sort of ransomware public enemy number one these days. And Jakobetz, more importantly, allegedly is under the employee of the FSB and his father-in-law is a prominent FSB special forces veteran. So you think about it. So Satchkov went public in July of 2020 and he said, oh yeah, Jakobets, he's a bad dude. He drives fast cars he's, you know, a bad cyber entrepreneur, you know, did Sashkov know that Jakubitz, you know, had his krisha, his roof was, was the FSB? If he didn't, then that's kind of weird that he wouldn't have known that. But it's not, it's wholly plausible that that was kind of the signal, that, that was the, the, maybe the straw that broke the camel's back. And then, The FSB, you know, rival division started building the case to go after him. That culminated in the raid on Tuesday.
0: So there's Sachkov's connection to the FSB agents who were caught sharing intelligence with the Americans. And there's his brazen criticism of how Russia fails to police its own cyber criminals. But that is not all. In March 2014, one of Sachkov's colleagues at Group IB, a man named Nikita Kislytsin. Met with FBI agents at the U.S. embassy in Moscow and spilled the beans on some of America's most wanted Russian hackers. Kislytsin was looking for a get out of jail card, and he told the feds that he had the permission of his boss, Ilya Sachkov, to share Group I.B. intelligence with the Americans. April
3: 2014, Kislytsin's working in Moscow. He's working for Group I.B. as a like a network engineer, a network security dude, and the FBI comes to Moscow to interview him, Kislytsin, about Nikulin and about other Russian hackers. So April, 2014, they come to the FBI, comes to Moscow. They sit down in the in the U S embassy in Moscow with Kislytsin and they say, okay, so first off, you've been indicted in the United States on, on, on various cyber charges. Here's the unsealed indictment. And so now we want to talk to you oh, and you're going to tell us lots of things. and." You know, Kieslitsyn gave them a ton of information uh, about all sorts of hackers, not just Nikol and Bolsa, and also Dokuchaev. Dokuchaev, he's a former hacker who ended up being hired by the FSB to work alongside Mikhailov in the in the FSB cyber unit. And Dokuchaev Dokuchayev was also arrested in December 2016 and charged with state treason. For passing information allegedly to the Americans, so Keith his interview with the FBI, which I think is four or five pages long, he indicates he tells the FBI that he's testifying with the knowledge and I guess the green light of Helia Sachkov, the head of Group I B. So it's wholly plausible that the fact that Sachkov authorized Keith to give testimony to the FBI. Uh, on Russian hackers that may have also been why the FSB decided to go after Sachkov. you know, sachkov is allegedly passing information to the Americans uh, for allowing information to be passed to the Americans through Kislitsin, so that's a chargeable offense as far as the thinking of the FSB is concerned so that, maybe that's the reason that they decided to go after him
1: I think the message that's being sent here is if you cooperate with foreign governments and help them investigate cyber crimes, there is nothing good that lies in your future. And I think understandably that's going to discourage other people and other companies within Russia from participating or cooperating in those types of investigations. And I think that's a huge loss because we know that there is a lot of cyber crime originating from Russia. We know that we need help. From their law enforcement, from their investigation services, to be able to catch those people and hold them accountable, and to my eye, and again, there's a lot we don't know. This looks like an attempt to punish people who were participating in that international process.
0: Do you think that's because they because these criminals are essentially protected, or does it have more to do with Russian security officials just being paranoid of any? foreign co- cooperation with foreign governments like is is there is it possible that this could be don't go don't talk to the fbi don't go and share information with anybody that's that's a no-no but we're going to take care of these criminals they're not our friends or that, that's 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 just nonsense
1: that's always possible right there's there's a lot i don't know about the inner workings of the russian government i don't know whether this is sort of a, a move specifically designed to protect a particular person or group but I do know that these are not the arrests we would like to see Russian law enforcement making. right? These are not the arrests of the most wanted Russian cyber criminals who have been identified by the FBI. These are, we think, arrests of the people who are maybe trying to help with some of that work. And that's that's a discouraging direction to see them going in.
0: You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, an English-language podcast from Medusa. On today's show, you heard about the significance of Ilya Sachkov's arrest from Julian Nassetti, an Associate Fellow at the French Institute of International Relations, Dr. Josephine Wolf, an Associate Professor of Cybersecurity Policy at the Tufts University Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, and RFRL journalist Mike Eccle. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa, our only English-language show, and I hope you'll recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. I say it every time, and I hope that at least one of you out there every time does exactly that. Also, if you value Medusa's reporting, whether in English or in Russian, please consider making a donation at support.medusa.io to help sustain our work. Recurring pledges help more, but we will take whatever you can spare, of course. Thank you for listening, and come back soon.